Listeners, and welcome back to All the Tea in History. In classic 2020 fashion, life threw us some curveballs, so we appreciate you hanging in there while we took a little time off. We're so excited to be back, and we have big plans for the road ahead, but first, we bring you the conclusion of our Spanish flu coverage. There is a part later in the episode where my microphone tends to dip out a little bit, so when you hear it, don't worry, it's not your headphones. With that disclaimer, sit back, grab a cup of tea, and enjoy. Well, Jill's got a little bit to tell us um, how, so this is the forgotten pandemic, but how is this pandemic remembered in media that we may be intimately familiar with? Okay, so there are multiple books on the uh, Spanish flu, but I'm not going to dive too much into that. I'm actually going to talk about... um, some tele some British period drama representation. So, um, like any good disaster of the Edwardian and Victorian era, um, this epidemic has made its rounds on the British period dramas, serving as a plot point in an episode of Upstairs Downstairs, in which Hazel Bellamy, who's like the main lady character in this uh, show, comes down with the Spanish flu and dies. I've never really watched Upstairs Downstairs. But it's like um, she's from a working class family and this guy is really wealthy and they get married and then she dies. So it's like it's not really great. I heard Uh, it was sort of like a proto Downton kind of situation. It was. And then they they redid it uh, not that long before Downton. So I think it's also Julian Fellows, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, The one I'm really going to talk about that I'm so mad at and I love so much is uh, in season two of Downton Abbey, uh, in series, sorry, in series two, episode eight of Downton Abbey, the Spanish flu comes to Downton right after Edith's not happening wedding. So um, they're like at dinner and then all of a sudden Carson Cora and Lavinia get sick. Now, if you are not a fan or somebody who watches Downton Abbey, Carson is the head butler who um, is like, he's sort of like the rock of the show. You sort of like, you follow him a lot. Cora is Lady Cora Grantham, who is the mother of the uh, the girls, the daughters, and she's an American. Uh, so she's the one who like, has all the money. And then Lavinia is um, a side character who is engaged to Matthew. Matthew Crawley, who is the cousin of Cora's daughters, but Cora's oldest daughter, Mary, is in love with Matthew. But uh, 
this all came to a head in the previous episode when Matthew and Mary kissed, but they're planning Matthew and Lavinia's wedding, and then, oh no, she gets Spanish flu. <laughs> and <laughs> and then, um, so while Lavinia is upstairs in a bedroom at Downton Abbey dying, Matthew and Mary have this, like, full-on conversation about how it's not fair for you to marry Lavinia because... You'll never truly be married to her. And and all this garbage. And <laughs> How like, do you really like, feel, she, How do you really feel about this? Like, the woman is dying. And, and Mary's still trying to make a move in. Meanwhile, she's engaged to um, Sir Friendzone from Game of Thrones. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. So the whole time, you're just like, really? Really, Lady Mary? You're going to move in on her while she's dying? It's like, it's like so, in the office when they're like... I think they both could do better. Yeah, totally could. So uh, they're at dinner. It seems like Lavinia's fine. She's going to recover. Cora's doing better. Carson's doing better. Uh, And then all of a sudden, Sybil, who's one of the daughters, runs in and she's like, Mother, it's not Mother. I'm sorry. No, Mother. Uh, uh, Lavinia. And, And then they all go upstairs. And on her deathbed, deathbed on her deathbed Lavinia is like just be happy be happy for me (sighs) that's all I want for you Matthew is to be happy and he's like darling I can't be happy if being happy is not being with you and then she dies (laughs) and (laughs) and then she just dies and like it's really non-ceremonious like she's it's a really like the the actress who plays Lavinia does a great job of dying of the Spanish flu. Like she's choking and stuff. Like it's really well done. Um, but she dies. And then like 10 minutes later, they have this whole Mary and Matthew have this whole conversation about how I'm so overwrecked with guilt. I can never marry you. Because oh, for heaven's sake. I, I should make up your mind. For her. And, and, and then it's like, uh, yeah. So then, uh, the next day, uh, or not the next day, the next episode, uh, it's like Christmas time and Mary and Matthew get engaged and then they get married in the next season. I'm glad their repentance was so long lived. To be I fair, know, right? episodes in Downton Abbey are like, there are months slash years separating episodes sometimes. But if there is an epidemic or a disaster, Downton Abbey. Oh yeah. There's you know, it's like, episode. oh, we got to cover the Titanic. First episode, like five minutes That was the first in, episode. The first episode is Titanic. And uh, then you've got, um, oh gosh, everything. I You've got the war hospital. You've got, oh, that's where they think they got it from, by the way. They think that the soldiers that had been living there as part of the war hospital brought it into the, down, into the Abbey. Uh, well, Downton Abbey is the reason I met you guys. So I can't think, it, it really is. No, no, hear me out. So my, a group of friends, before I moved out to live uh, with my fiancé, now husband, um, in South Dakota, a bunch of my friends here in Minnesota were all watching Downton Abbey together. And right before Andrew and I moved back, um, my friend says, there is a big, beautiful manor house in St. Paul that's like Downton Abbey. And since we watched it together, we shall go on a tour. So we're home, and we all go on a tour Aww. with Mr. Andrew Fox and his bow tie. Um, and we go through the tour and my friend says, Allison, you have to work here. You have to work here. 
And sure enough, um, Andrew and I moved back to Minnesota like a month later. And they were hiring at the Hill House. And I was like, oh. And I applied. So Downton Abbey is why we know each other. Oh, there it is. I love it. Downton Abbey is also the reason that I know you people as well. (laughs) Because uh, the museum I was working at out east had a Downton Abbey exhibit. I fell in love with working museums because of that exhibit. And then I saw the billboard Minnesota's for Minnesota's Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if they're hiring. And they were. So, Hannah, how did Downton bring you to us? Did it? Uh, it didn't. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Damn it! My own, my own obsessions brought me to you, but I'm glad that it did. Well... <sighs> It's a lovable show, but there is a third British program that I recommend if you can find um, a copy from the UK, uh, and it is it is entitled. It's from the BBC Four, and it is entitled "The Spanish Flu: The Forgotten Fallen," and it was released in two thousand and nine. And according to the program guide, uh, since I wasn't able to find a full copy. Uh, here in the United States, but it is available in the UK, so I'm trying my best to figure out how to get it here so I can watch it because I'm very interested in it. But I will read you the description. It is a drama illuminating one doctor's pioneering efforts to protect the people of Manchester from the 1918 Spanish influenza pandemic. Set against the background of the armistice in November of 1918 as millions of exhausted soldiers return home from the Great War. The film tells the little-known story of Dr. James Niven, Manchester's medical health officer, the Manchester's medical health officer for 30 years, and his heroic efforts to combat a second wave of fatal influenza as it spreads across the city and the UK. So, actually, Manchester was one of the cities listed as one of the first um, that puts a a mask ban, or um, not a mask ban, but a mask ordinance. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is for sure Mm -hmm. in it. Uh, It's basically, uh, it follows this doctor's story and how he works uh, just basically trying to find any possible um, way to protect his city from getting infected. And the clips I could find were really, really good. And it's like a really good, you remember like the old history channel dramas where you'd watch something and it was like completely, it wasn't like they didn't have the talking heads. It was just, you were completely Mm -hmm. immersed. Allison, it reminds me a lot of Gettysburg, the movie, which is based on your second favorite (laughs) book of all time, the killer angels. It is my second favorite book of all time. My first favorite being Hannah. Lord of the Rings. Yes, Hannah, yeah, no, the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, I was trying to think. But that's a, not a book. A that's not a yes, singular it is. book. Yes, that's it is. Three books. Yes, it is. Three books. <laughs> it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. How could that be one book? It might be interesting to kind of discuss why this was forgotten. I think mostly because it's so. Uh, Terrible. Well, it's terrible, but it's also there. The world had undergone this incredible shift. There's a reason they called it the Great War, the War to End All Wars, because it was so horrific in ways that war had never really been before. People had been used to war. Wars happened all the time, um, and this was the first. There were just these universal, like never again. Of course, it would come up again, um, uh, and. 
it's that collective trauma I think just made the flu just seem even though it, it did kill more people it was the flu you know what I mean it didn't yeah. mustard gas you it didn't make you you know sit in the trenches it didn't take your limbs yeah. sometimes with trauma you get to a point where you're too burnt out to really yeah. take in more and so you're over trauma yeah, yeah you're just kind of done and so I think it was just maybe trauma on top of trauma, and one is more showy than the other, too. So. That's true. But I think, you know what's, what's very interesting about history is that history is never really linear. I mean, of course it is. Nope. But the way we think about history is, is never us thinking about point A and point B. It's also it's coming... It's wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Exactly. Um, but what I'm kind of getting at is like, for example, we're, you know, my favorite, my second favorite book, The Civil War. We don't just today think about the Civil War in context of us and 1863. We think about us in 1863. We think about us in 1963. We think about 1963 and 19 and 18 and 1863. You know what I mean? There's a lot of differences in the way history has been taught, the way we've been taught. And I think... There's a lot of layers to the lens. Exactly. And I think because of what we're going through now, learning about the Spanish flu is about to become way more important to history. Does that make... I mean... So it's about to become more important, even though it happened 102 years ago. And we're seeing it now with the connection to the Philadelphia and St. Louis mm-hmm. models that is all over the mm-hmm. world right now. Um, but to your point, uh, one of my professors in college said that history isn't a timeline, it's an earthquake. And so there's a huge diversion or a huge point, uh, and then the aftershocks. It went me. perfectly. It perfect. and, then, <laughs> and then the aftershocks just pop up every so often. That's a really good because, point. Because you start with this huge impactful event. So like take the Civil War. You have the Civil War and then you have how the impacts of that radiate through history and where the aftershocks mm-hmm. happen. Where the causes and the effects and the solutions and all everything that was in this giant event radiate throughout the times of history so it's like you have an epicenter and then it expands and if you look at history in like a cyclical earthquake map you can see it just it's almost like a giant tree ring and it just goes and goes Mm -hmm. and goes and goes so that's a really really good metaphor for it thank you dr yannikin smucker so i have a question just to kind of wrap us up here what do you hope that from this whole series what have you taken away or what do you hope listeners will take away to deal with what's going on right now with COVID-19 what can we take away to help us understand or to help us deal with what's going on here I think it's putting us in context it's putting us in a historic sort of pool of humanity You know what I mean? Um, We talked about this a little bit earlier in that, like, 
what this is bringing out is what's important to us and who's important to us. And that's something Mm -hmm. that everyone who's dealt with these pandemics has had to deal with is when everything else falls apart, what makes us human? And we see that every day right now. There's a guy in a, I assume it's a guy, I don't know. There's a person in a T-Rex costume that is running his way through my neighborhood um, on a daily basis. Because it's a makeshift hazmat suit. It's an inflatable plastic. <laughs> sure, but it's also a way to bring joy and gladness to everybody oh, sure. who's just like, oh, there goes the T-Rex. <laughs> as much joy and gladness as you can hold in his tiny, exactly. tiny arms. Um, <laughs> so are you saying that everyone, I think we should just have like a mass T-Rex run. Everybody buys a T-Rex <laughs> but costume. But maintain like the, the social distance. Other hour, Do it at home. Sign up. Sign up for an hour. You get to the street for that hour. And then the neighbor gets the next hour. Um, Do your best T-Rex impersonation. But yeah, long and short of it is, is I think it, it makes me feel more human. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jill? I, I think uh, what I'm getting from this whole thing is, um, number one, to with this series look to the past uh for guidance in the future um don't make the mistakes that you see so common in these epidemics uh do your own thinking but do your own research uh is better afraid and listen to the experts don't that's what i mean like when you're listening to people on the news don't just listen to one side don't just listen to to one outlet uh, do your research and and listen to the people who are the best suited to give you the information on how to stay healthy and as allison said keep those who you truly care about close not physically Um, but (laughs) not physically but i I mean older family members who are going to feel really isolated right now you know reach out to them um for me it's it's about keeping my daughter safe and about you know, making sure that she's able to come out of this and we're all able to come out of this and look back on it and um, remember it the way that the individuals in the Spanish flu did as, as a terrible time, but maybe it will ease its way out, but I don't think it will ever ease out of our memory. I think this is such a uh, deep impact um, on our society that it won't ever go back to the way it used yeah. to be. Um, but I, I, I do think it's bringing people... It's softening the hard edges of the world. Yeah, that's a really good point. People are. I think it's. uh, We all realize that we're not immortal. Mm -hmm. It doesn't affect you based on where you're from. Doesn't affect you based on uh, who you voted for. Doesn't affect you based on what neighborhood you live in or what um, store you shop at. It it affects you because you're human. Mm -hmm. And I think if we all saw ourselves as these vessels, these carbon life forms that are just made up of the same material we might reach out a little bit more and try to help everyone and i think that's happening i think the uh the walls are starting to sort of soften and crumble a little bit around some things which is nice to see i think and it's nice to turn the news on and see stories of people actually taking an active role in charity and and not it be another murder or another shooting you know, it's it's good news when it can be good news, and mm-hmm. that's what's that's what that's what's yeah. nice to see. 
I think this, like many of these pandemics that we've talked about, it it um, kind of puts a highlight on, on those rough points, on the inequalities um, that exist in our societies. Um, and hopefully that means that we can sharp, you know, we can deal with them more effectively mm-hmm. than we used to be able to. Well, I see it in terms of, like, we, not just to bring Disney up, but to to point at it, that's a company that lives and breathes off of people coming into its gates, and and it brings joy to people in in so many different ways. Um, But when this went down, you know, they had millions and millions and millions of pounds of food across Mm -hmm. the world that wasn't going to get used and rather than just you know doing what some companies might do and dumping it they rushed it to food Mm -hmm. shelters to ensure that those who were now going to be living paycheck to paycheck Mm -hmm. to pay rent and might not have access to food had access to some really great food and they did everything they could to ensure that their employees stayed employed and it's just the responses from companies, the responses from governments, the responses from agencies are what is going to define the legacy in yeah. this country. And I think in the future, a interview question that will come up when you're interviewing for a new job or you're interviewing for um, a promotion or something is, how did you handle the COVID response? How did you handle COVID-19? Because if you have a company that just said, well, we laid everybody off. Or we, fired or we tried to stay open because we cons- we pretended we were an essential business and didn't give our, you yep. know, <laughs> company. Yeah, we had a 10% employee death rate because we stayed open to sell people elastic. You know, it's it just, you're going to, you're going to base your patronage and you're going to base your um, <sighs> opinions on how people treated people. And I think that's something that's important, but I don't want to preach. <laughs> that's okay. What do you think, Hannah? Yeah, Hannah, you take the baton. <laughs> um, from a socially distant distance, I will take the baton. Um, I think I'll say two things I would say that keep bubbling up in my mind are that we, especially in this country, have a lot of tools to deal with this whether that is I, I know it can get really dark out there with ventilator shortages and all that kind of thing and that's real and I don't want to ignore it but in so many ways we are more equipped to deal with this than the last time this happened um, we can deal with those secondary infections with antibiotics if that needs to happen we have ventilators not as many as we need but we do have some Um, And we have a pretty well, at this point, from what I can see in a lot of different areas, the healthcare system is full of dedicated people that are really trying to do what they can. So I think we can be grateful for that. And we're really well equipped to keep society going, even when we are quarantined. Like that is, I don't think we can underestimate like how grateful we should be for that. Like we can get our groceries delivered or we can work from home, a lot of us can. Not all of us, obviously, we are among some of the people uh. who are not able to work because our jobs don't, we can't do it from home. So, I'm not... It's really hard to give a tour <laughs> when the music Life's is so unnerving for a tour exactly. guide who's not touring. Not so touring. I'm not <laughs> for a position of being completely unaffected by this. 
I'm just saying, for where we are, like in the 21st century, this gives us quite a leg up for yeah. a lot of the essential functions of society. And so I think that's something that we can be thankful for. And then also just overall looking back at history in general, just always gives me reassurance that this will pass and that it's mm-hmm. in the end this is something that is a passing thing and it's it's gonna end and I think when you're in the middle of it it can feel endless and it can feel like this long slog and I'm not saying there's not gonna be pain coming out of it but and you know it's we it's gonna be over someday yeah and and sadly enough just like all the rest of these not all of us are gonna see the end of it right. um yeah. but um let's hope we we (laughs) yeah otherwise yeah no but otherwise this is gonna be we're all we're all gonna be touched by this um and it and it's it's scary um but i i think i told you guys about my bottle of wine that i bought before the um as i with sort of amused uh, sort of gallows humor, gallows humor before this whole thing went down, um, not knowing how bad it was going to get. I bought a couple of very silly bottles of wine, like one called Poison and one was called Hope's End. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, but the Hope's End wine, it was actually really fantastic. Um, so we finally opened it probably about a week ago. And um, it was like a barrel, it was like a bourbon barrel aged cab. It was really good. Um, but we pop it open. And on the cork, it says it doesn't end here. And so it means hope doesn't end because it said hope's end. Because I imagine that's the place that it's made and all of that. But I was just like, oh, thanks, bottle of wine. Thanks. Um, And so. Fortune cook. Fortune cook. I know. Um, So that's actually sitting on my windowsill in my kitchen um, in my little dish. And it just said it doesn't end here. And when you get through all this, get that framed. Put it someplace. Because that's going to be the thing that when you're 80 (laughs) years old and your grandkids go, Grandma Allison, how did you make it through the great COVID 19? How did my kids get Southern? Southern. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to point at it and you're going to say, the wine. The wine cook told me. I I looked to it and it told me. This too. This is. So anyway, that's my. Each of us us have specific people that I can think of by name. Wow. (laughs) Each of us has specific people that I can think of in each of our lives that are more vulnerable to this that we're worried about right now. And so, Mm -hmm. anyway, anyone who's out there, just remember, it's scary right now, and do your best to go with community. Go with the community programs for mitigation and do what you can. Um, and it is, you know, frightening. Flatten the curve. curve. Do what you can and just remember that it's not going to be scary like this forever. And I think one thing that um, our governor said in his speech, um, so that is um, Tim Walls, um, because we are um, Minnesotan citizens, um, he said that do not think of staying home as being in action. Think of it as action because it is we are doing the thing it may seem like we're sitting at home doing nothing but it's actually what is helping everything the most it's not gonna be masks even though those of course help 
Um, but it's, this is what's gonna, this is the only thing that's gonna save us. And there are people, of course, who can't stay home, medical professionals who have to do what they have to do without the adequate support to do it, people who are working at grocery stores not making enough money for doing so. Mm -hmm. Um, and all those people are, they're Heroes. heroes, but they, they're our most vulnerable too. You know what I mean? Like, they're... Yeah, and and it's... They can't be forgotten. They can't be, you know, oh, they're essential, so we don't need to worry about them. They're going to do their job and they'll be fine. No, you need to do what you can to support them in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, Um... and we talked about this at the end of our wrap-up. Or I made a brief announcement about it in our wrap-up. But there's one other um, consequence that we, as three historians, are very fearful of it. And we want to ensure that we don't allow it to happen. And if we can just do our small part and advocate for it. And that's the protection of our historical institutions, um, museums, historical societies. Um, we're we as three employees of a historical institution are vulnerable and not because we're not an essential employee and so on and so forth but because um our museum cannot function without making money and with the economy the way it is due to the um, orders to stay at home which are essential and necessary to keep everyone in this country safe uh it's putting our historical institutions at risk and um I know you're not going out and going to a museum and and you don't you might not see it as an essential part of your society you might think oh well you know I need to donate that five dollars I have extra to uh, the, the Red Cross and that's wonderful and, and a, a very wise choice but if you could do something to just reach out and support your local museums in some way um, whether it's buying a membership with the intent of going when they reopen um, whether it's uh, simply buying an advance ticket donating outright um you're gonna do some you're gonna that small action rippling out could um help preserve history and if our museums close if our historical um, societies close that history could be lost and it'd be a far greater consequence of this disease to lose history and to lose those museums than it would be to um, just simply see them as a casualty of the virus. So please help your museum. Yeah, it means a lot to us. It, and more from just our, our livelihood, you know, we can get other jobs, but it's, it's important. Yeah. It's important. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably think so too. Um, and, yeah. you know, we laugh here, but we, this uh we take serious we take history pretty seriously because it's all we got you know it's our only roadmap mm-hmm. for where we've been um and uh uh we can't lose it so no. thanks for joining us um for this whole quarantine um we will yeah. uh maybe get back to uh our regularly scheduled uh episodes maybe <laughs> we'll see um and we'll on regular and random historic topics um don't worry there'll be plenty of dna we won't leave you hanging there it always seems and we'll have to it does <laughs> it does 
And I'm sure there'll be tons of Yule Brenner mentions. <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber sneaks his he way in. He usually does. That troll person. Uh, he, he is. Uh, but, uh... Uh, drink plenty of tea and water. Stay hydrated. Take a walk. Wash, wash your wash dang your hands. Dang everybody. hands. Well, everyone. Good night. Good night. Hey, I'm who Allison. Are you? I'm who are you? I'm Jill. This, good good night. night. Thanks so much for joining us for our Spanish flu wrap up. We'll see you next week when we go all the way back to the Wars of the Roses for the long-awaited second installment of our Princes in the Tower series. If you want to see where we left off, you can go even further back to March 2020 and listen to our Princes in the Tower Part 1 episode. In the meantime, if you'd like to see maps, photos, and documents we discussed in this episode, head on over to our Pinterest or Instagram. You can also visit our website for more extensive notes and a link to our new Patreon. All links can be found in the episode description. As always, thank you for listening. We're so grateful for your support, ratings, and reviews. Until next time, remember, everything stops for tea.